0: Mmm. She called me Mr. Boombastic. Say me fantastic. Touch me on the back. my Mr. Ro, Ro- Montic. Tell me fantastic. Touch me on the back. She says, Mr. Ro. Welcome back to a tale of two boombastic rivals. I am FF underscore Bantaman Foster. Welcome back. Plus one, Sean Kennedy. Who else is joining me?
1: At ff underscore spaceman. I am just. I don't even know what to say. I'm excited to be here tonight. I hope Shawn I mean, I hope Todd brings that attitude and that spunk all night tonight because I am pumped to be with my friends here at the Tail Two Rivals, guys. I'm excited. I'm excited to
2: get down to it tonight. Let's do it.
0: Mmm, lava, lava. Mmm. Girl, are we joined by a plus one?
2: Yeah, I already mentioned you got Sean Kennedy at FF underscore Walrus getting a shout-out in the intro song and really just hoping Todd is committing and just fully in and holding up the rhyme scheme for the rest of the episode, but time will tell.
0: Definitely not. That's all I had in me. Coward. That's all I had in me. Guys, I really channeled that. I tried really hard to make Shaggy proud. Mr. Boombastic, that's one of my three karaoke songs. One of my three. I rock that. I wish by Skilo, And then I do a duet with Joanne that I will never tell you guys so you can see live if it ever happens.
2: It's definitely Ebony and Ivory.
0: Oh, it's not. Oh, it's not. It is not.
2: You sing the Sandy D part from Grease.
0: No, there's rapping involved. There's rapping involved. Oh, I
2: know what it is. There's rapping involved. It's Airplane. Yeah. It's airplanes. <laughs> no,
0: it's not. I'm not going to tell you because there eh, might feels become like I a just day right
2: there by your lackluster denial of what the song must be. If you hit it, I would
0: admit it. You did not hit it. I'm telling you that was that... the laziest
2: rhyme, Todd.
0: Actually, was I? I think I'm just in the zone. I didn't mean it.
2: <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Is that all? <Ollie> I'm missing you. <laughs> No, dude, you're you're not gonna get it. You're not I gonna get it. It's i you,
2: and you would sing the Faith Hill part,
0: dude. I'm telling you, it's fantastic. And Jackson laughs hysterically every time we do it. It's good times. At you or with you? I don't know. He's young. Yeah. Either way, he's fine. I'm his. I'm his dad. He can do whatever he wants. So, yeah, that is not the question of the day. That is not the question of the day, gents.
2: So we always like to thread in a question of the day here and get the minds turning the wheels processing, the grains ablooming, blooming And for today's question, what is the ultimate stadium treat? What is the ballpark food, the stadium snack that you guys find most irresistible? When you go up to that concession stand, what do you just have to get? What is the food item that you look at and you just can't say no to?
0: Chi-chi sausage. Outside, right behind the Green Monster at Fenway, loaded with two packages of spicy mustard. The sausages outside Fenway are better than the sausages in Fenway all day.
1: When it comes to ballparks or any sporting event, I always pay up. I don't want the hot dog. I don't want the sausage. I don't want the the comet like chicken fingers, French fries, none of that. I'm going to pay up for that premium stand that's at that one spot in the stadium. I'll walk around the entire thing. Doesn't matter. I'm going to go get it. It's usually, it's a prime rib sandwich. I love it. I had, actually, I had one of my best ones ever at a Fisher Cats game in Manchester, double-A squad. Amazing prime rib sandwich there, uh, there Sean. I'm blown away. And, and But at the Patriots, they have a great uh prime rib sandwich too. Yeah, so I'm usually going for a beef sandwich. I'm, I'm drinking heavily. I want to make sure I'm full- And ready to party.
0: Also, if you ever go to a salt game, brisket at the carving station. You'll love it. Good stuff, dude. Sean.
2: Yeah, how about that? Dave coming in with the positive New Hampshire take, dropping the Fisher Cats. You don't hear too many of those. Usually it's just people dogging our shoddy education system or too high taxes. But how about that?
0: You have a fine education system. You're top five. Relax. You're fine.
2: We're top five in New England.
0: Well, is that all that matters?
2: Well, is it because there's only six states?
0: Hey, yeah, you're not you're not sick.
2: It's you can't go wrong with a classic. I'll take a soft pretzel and some spicy mustard.
0: Nice, I like it. Because
2: I think I like it. You know the the things you mentioned. I'm familiar with being from the region. Going to those locations, fantastic. The chichi sausage is great, especially like you're gonna get a Louis T on Cubano outside of Fenway. Fantastic, but. Ooh, yeah. That doesn't present yeah. a lot of variability. You know, you're going to go other places. That gets a lot tougher, a lot more unreliable. For me, soft pretzel, can't go wrong. Ton of salt. Kill it with salt. Get all the spicy mustard you can. Let's go. Fire it up. Oh, well, yeah.
0: That's usually like if I've had a few extra brews, the, uh, the soft pretzel comes in at the end. Yeah. All day. For the save. For the save. That's that. That's a solid choice, Dave. I love that. Like you don't go to a restaurant to go get your meal, man. Like just, just, just go to a a solid establishment around here
1: yeah, beforehand. But Todd, I'm you know baseball games are like four hours. I I'm not gonna. I'm I'm drinking heavily. Fair, fair, I need to soak. Fair, fair, I need to fair, soak up fair. the stuff here. So yeah, I'm, yeah, And football games, it's an all day tailgate. Yeah, I'm gonna need some sustenance.
0: Let's talk zero wide receiver. Is this the year for zero wide receiver? I have a feeling we've kind of already talked about this a lot, but let's just talk about the idea of going in from a zero strategy standpoint. Sean, is this a good year to go zero wide receiver?
2: No, I don't think it's ever a good year to go zero wide receiver, just like I don't think it's ever a good year to go zero running back. And I think the reason being is because that means you're prioritizing taking quarterback and or a tight end over getting into your running back core, getting into your wide receiver core, whichever zero strategy you want to commit to but if you're going to push it off until you know we kind of set the bar for the sake of this episode of the six that means you're looking at Devonte parker you're looking at aj green you're looking at hollywood brown you're looking at scary terry mclaurin as then your wide receiver one and every single one of those guys has precipitous risk attached to them right who knows what Lamar Jackson's deep ball is going to be with Hollywood? I mean, I think he, out of those four guys I just said, is probably the safest. A.J. Green could get traded. He could get hurt. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Davis definitely going to lose the bet. That's the only thing we do know about A.J. Green.
1: I don't know. Did you see that quick eight-second clip of Joe Burrow throwing passes to A.J. Green today? Have
2: you seen anything about A.J. Green in the last three years? Dave loves videos in gym shorts, loves them.
1: I actually don't, Todd, but it wasn't (laughs) even gym shorts. They had some special ball, like heart rate monitor across their chest, Under Armour. It was, it was, it was just, and it was slow motion. I was like, oh, yes, yes.
2: It sounds like you're just describing (laughs) the opening scene from Juno at this point.
1: No, no, but yeah, Ellen Page, very big fan, very big fan. Yeah,
2: so my point being is that these guys you're taking in the sixth, they're in the sixth for a reason, right? Terry McLaurin is tethered to the Washington football team and he's tethered to Dwayne Haskins. Hollywood Brown, how much is the pass game going to be big in Baltimore? AJ Green, surely is just, I mean, he's filing for AARP cards at this point. And Devontae Parker isn't going to be good this year by all indications of his first four years in the league. And of course, Preston Williams is going to upstage him. And if you're relying on this caliber of person to be your wide receiver one, I think you're in trouble. And I think even if you take a look back where somehow the value is stronger and you scoop back a round or two, and even if you're looking at Jarvis Landry, who we've been plugging as one of the best redraft values in the whole draft. Brandon Cooks, who is undoubtedly going to be the wide receiver one for Houston. Tyler Boyd, who should still be a great piece for Cincinnati. Marvin Jones Jr., who we've been saying go get because his red zone viability is just insane. Those are good pieces, but I think just like with the zero RB strategy, you've got to throw the needle. You're talking these eight guys I just listed off will all go in three rounds. So you can only have at max probably two of them. Because other people are gonna snipe in, they're gonna take them. And I just think like other zero strategies, nobody has the inside track anymore. That's gone. Short of you showing up and Tanya harding somebody, you don't know that somebody's gonna get hurt. Because everybody else has all the same information you do because of the intranets.
0: To answer the question, my criteria for zero anything for me is first six rounds. I get it. That's not what it is. But the way that I would use like the strategy would be first six rounds, you're ignoring position. Would do I think that this could work in a one QB league? No, I don't. I think it's a terrible move in that. And super flex, it could definitely work. But there's a ton of risk to it. So if you're looking at a super flex draft, and you come out with three running backs and three quarterbacks. I mean, those are three positions that give you a heavy advantage. But you leave no margin for error in your wide receiver picks. Yes, it's deep. But you also really need a couple of those guys to outperform ADP with that kind of a strategy. So even in those situations where I'm saying to you, load up on QBs that are going to obviously significantly more important in Superflex, Load up on running backs that there's a scarcity there, and you want those foundational players. Seven eighth round, when you start looking at wide receiver, you have to be like very in tune with like nailing guys. I actually think Preston Williams, if you nail him in Sean, what was his ADP?
2: 140 something, 141, I believe. So you're talking 11th round,
0: right? You're overpaying for him. 9-10 probably. So that's a guy that you're going to go out, you're going to have to take risks and you're going to have those guys nail. So would I do it? No, I personally wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to say that it couldn't work. But you literally have to have a lot of things aligned at the wide receiver position to make that work. So in Superflex, it's an option. 1QB, I really don't understand why you'd be considering that. Balance is really important in 1QB. Dave, what about you, man?
1: So... Sure, any draft strategy can work if you pick the right players, Right. if you're going to be perfect. But going back again, I don't like to be have a zero margin of error. We have to realize that we're going to make the wrong selections at times in our drafts. And when you go zero wide receiver, you're just relying too heavily on making the right picks later on and trying to find value at wide receiver, where we've said before, there's a lot more information out there. So no, thank you. So when zero wide receiver, not only do you have to pick the right RBs while you're doing it, then you have to pick the right wide receivers later on good point that's easier said than done
0: all right flip the script let's talk about wide receiver heavy targets you're looking first three rounds wide receiver ideally what are you landing in in those first three rounds if you're going wide receiver heavy so i'll start if i'm in the first round i'm either hitting michael thomas with a mid pick or julio and hill late in the second round nukes a home run anywhere in that round and godwin's a solid choice and then in the third round, I'm hoping I'm scooping up Galladay, Moore, or A Rob. That's what I'm looking at if I'm looking to get three wide receivers in the first round if I go wide receiver heavy. And that's pretty nice. But again, if you don't have a running back at that point, it might be too much to make up for. What about you, Dave?
1: I honestly, I struggled to think of a scenario where I would want to do this. Even, even to just play along, I had to have that, like the 110 pick to make this even, or like the 110 <laughs> and 112 range to even try to even fathom making this make sense. So, and from that. 110 to 112 range, I'd like to get Tyreek and Julio Jones on that 110-203 turn. That's how I'd like to approach it. And then I'd like to have a choice between DJ Moore and Allen Robinson coming back around with my third round pick and then getting Allen Robinson or Amari Cooper or even Mike Evans with that third round pick. Like think about it, coming up with Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, and Allen Robinson, that's the ideal world there. That's not bad if you're going through this thing, but it's still, it's just tough to swallow.
2: Sean? Yeah, the only person I really am dead set on taking in the first is Michael Thomas. Um You know, if Devontae Adams were to be there at like 111, 112, and the running backs I want, and Michael Thomas are gone, which I'm sure Michael Thomas would be at that point. I'm grabbing him. I can't believe Todd didn't even mention him and who he's taking with his targets, but so we need to loop back around to that because I'm really curious to see where Devontae ranks for him.
0: Oh, Devontae's gone by the time he gets back to me in the second round.
2: So so he's he's a first round guy too.
0: He's the end of the first round. He's not realistic for me in the second round. So is
2: he above Julio and Hill?
0: Yeah. I mean, actually, no. I think he's above Julio and Hill for everybody else. Julio I put above Devontae.
2: So you go MT, you go Julio, you go Devontae, and then it's Tyreek.
0: Yes. Okay. But I, I'm saying that I feel like Julio is going to fall to me because I think that's against the grain. I would take Julio over Devontae, but I don't think I'd have to sit in the same capital on him.
2: Right on.
1: I loved getting Devontae Adams at 303 in Scott Fishbowl. Oh, that's you got him at
2: 303? Of... That's just disgusting. D- oh, it's good ridiculous. for you. Ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know what that is? That's like Donatello-level value <laughs> getting him there. Good for you, Dave.
1: Zeke, Miles Sanders, and Devontae Adams will start out with. that. was really
2: happy. Good for That's you. fantastic. Good for you. That's crazy. But yeah, so for me, I'm MT in the first all day. You know, if it, if it gets in the end and he's there and the running backs that I want in the first are gone, I'll take him and I'll pay a running back coming around the turn. Devontae Adams, same thing, but – I'll certainly prioritize a running back there. What I really like a lot is if you draft it early and you are coming back and you are at the end of the second round, Kenny Galladay being right there looking at you. DeAndre Hopkins somehow seems to be falling that far, which I don't know feels cheap for him. You know, you are talking about a guy he's been first round forever, and changing teams means he's going to slip that far. I think he can't go wrong with that. Chris Godwin back there is great too. And then round three, I love Juju, Kenny Galladay, DJ Moore, Alan Robinson being in there. And I think, you know, for my team, my build, like Dave was talking about roster construction matters. Every round I just said, if I'm taking one wide receiver in any of those three rounds, out of all the names I said, I don't even care which one it is. If I'm pairing that receiver with two running backs, I'm feeling pretty good.
0: All right. Realistically, we nailed these first right receivers. You just got a monster tray. Who are you realistically landing at running back in 4-5? or five? Like, like who are we targeting? Like, who's
1: left? DeAndre Swift? DeAndre Swift?
0: I, oh, man. Okay. So, if DeAndre Swift is my RB1, I feel like I did something wrong. If he's my RB2, I don't hate it. I love the upside to him. I love doing an upside on my RB2. But without the solidity and, like, him and his role for that RB1, that's rough. But I love DeAndre Swift call there.
2: So just looking at it, looking at the ADP, like we said, we're using fantasy pros here. Yep. Who are you guys most comfortable with? Let's say you went wide receiver heavy, first three rounds, wide receiver. So now we're in round four, and you're looking at your first running back. You've got James Conner. You've got Jonathan Taylor, Devin Singletary. Who do you like there?
0: Jonathan Taylor, not even close. Not, it's not even close for me on that one.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'll be shocked if Jonathan Taylor is available there. That doesn't make any sense to be able to have a chance at Jonathan Taylor. So that's why I'm thinking that I'm uh, – realistically, I'm looking at Mark Ingram as my RB1 there. There's a huge gap falloff of, uh, in the ADP. It's Devin Singletary? No, thank
2: you. Yeah. Yeah. Gets really nasty.
1: You're reaching at DeAndre Swift, so maybe – Todd's right. Maybe you – Mark Ingram and DeAndre Swift as what you have to look for as, as your ideal – what you're looking for yeah
0: so let's say you go wide heavy right and you but you do get your rb1 you get your rb1 then you load up on three wides right and now you're looking end of the fifth i think david montgomery is your rb2 is is a solid value i honestly do but that's a guy that i don't really see like where the work isn't there for him he was a guy that he wasn't that bad like I think it's kind of like he he didn't meet expectation, but if you're loading up on wide receiver early, but you still got your RB1, David Montgomery is a solid target as an RB2 in my opinion.
2: So this is where I'm going to have to interject, Todd, because I think you're not wrong. Absolutely, you're not wrong. Him as an RB2 is fantastic. But what I think and what I tried to plug earlier that you're working against is, you know, let's say somebody went, Out of the first three rounds, two wide receivers. Yep. You know, so they have Dalvin Cook, they have Godwin, and they have Galladay. Okay. They're going to be looking to reach, right? And they, you know, they're going to be taking Montgomery earlier. This is where, like, you know, we as we get into these running backs in later rounds, I don't think you can trust ADP as much because people are more willing to reach on them on those running backs there because the depth just isn't there. It's not as protected as wide receiver is. So David Montgomery is right now, right again, we're using fantasy pros 54 and Mark Ingram's right there in front of him at 53. But again, in like the 12 selects above them, there's four people. And I think you're going to be looking at a lot of players, a lot of co-owners in your league that are going to snipe that value. Sure. They're not going to take Montgomery at fifty four. They're going to take him at forty four.
1: I guarantee you, Jonathan Taylor is not going to be available at forty
2: seven. Yeah, right. right. There you go, Dave. Same, same, same thread, right? Different string, same thread.
0: Let's put it this way: I have a running back. I got my two wide receivers I'm in the fourth round, correct? And now I'm looking at potentially getting either Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, or Juju. Right? If I can weigh one of those three guys in the fourth round. I'm pulling the trigger all day. Now, let's say none of those guys are on the board. I'll take the field and then take a running back. I'm not going to pass on that just when I'm like, well, I could win David Montgomery later. Okay, I don't get David Montgomery. I'll add a fourth wide receiver, and then I'll add and try to piece something together with my RB2. As long as I have an RB1, I'm okay with the idea of trying to put together some puzzle pieces with RB2. That's my point. It's like, I'm not going to give up DJ Moore and go ahead and draft David Johnson just because I feel like later on I might miss out on David Montgomery. Like I'm going to pick the guy with the, with the ceiling and the upside and whatever happens, I'll be able to adjust. That's the thing too is like, if your plane blows up, how are you going to adjust? Like you should know, like, if this doesn't fall to me, what would be my backup plan? And I think that taking a fourth wide receiver there is not a terrible idea because now you're getting the best value because Obviously, people are overspending on running backs because they're scared about the scarcity. Go get Tariq Cohen and, I don't know, Vaughn's going to be super low because of the COVID piece. And then you can try to piece together an RB2 situation there, maybe.
2: Just got activated today.
0: I'm not going to be scared away by the idea of Dave Montgomery being gone in the fifth to not take DJ Moore in the fourth. And yes, I'm higher on DJ Moore because I talked to Dave way too much. So, like, yeah. That's probably the biggest effect that Davis had on me is DJ Moore. And now I'm like very upset I only have one share of him. All right, gents. That was a phenomenal discussion. You guys ready to jump in the QBs? Let's do it. I love talking QBs. QB one leagues first. Now with QB one leagues, the time-tested idea is always wait on your QBs. However, there's monsters. Patrick Mahomes is a monster. Mark Jackson is a monster. Do you just wait? Or is it worth reaching on Mahomes or Jackson? And when would you typically start looking for a QB in a one QB league, Dave?
1: So again, I feel like this is my common thread tonight: is that it's a very narrow situation where I'm going to be taking this type of approach, and where several things have to line up for it to happen. So I'm picking for the one hundred one to one hundred four spot. So my ideal spot, and I nail my RB that I wanted in that spot, and then what coming back around at the two three turn. DJ Moore is going to have to be gone. My top 17 RBs have to also be gone. And George Kittle's also off the board. And then in that situation, would I be willing to take Lamar Jackson at that 2-3 turn? I would like to take him coming back around in the third round, but that's what it has to to happen. It's just, it's a weird year for QB value in QB1 leagues because there's not a lot of late round QBs that I'm excited about where in past years, we've had a Lamar Jackson. We've had, uh kyler murray we've had a lot of exciting players i guess it's just tough to get excited for a lot of these late round qbs this year because there's not many with that rushing upside so maybe just maybe the world was perfectly aligned i would take lamar jackson my third pick if i had that like the first three picks in the draft but then i would hate myself for the rest of the draft trying to catch up in other positions so that's how it works so I gotta give
0: you a lot of respect, man. I actually love, so I know that you're like me, I'm all about waiting on QBs. I love the way that you work that whole process out on when you would actually take Jackson. And that makes sense. Like, I, I don't think I would do it, but that's only because I don't think I have the balls to take a QB that early to one QB league. But it totally makes sense. Your RBs are gone. Your boy's gone. Obviously, Kelsey's gone and Kittle's gone. So, yeah, that would actually be a pretty reasonable place to take Lamar Jackson.
2: Sean, what about you? I'm never about quarterbacks high. I like him late. You know, even just looking at historical trends, Patrick Mahomes going into last year, obviously the darling, he put up that unbelievable season in 2018, you know, coming into 2019. But then you look at the finishes, and he's QB7. And even when you contextualize that and say, okay, well, he had the knee injury, he missed two games. It's not like he was the QB2. Obviously, Lamar Jackson had the historic season. He broke Mike Vick's rushing records. But taking Mahomes' average and plugging him in for an extra two games, he still would have been the quarterback four. And I just think that 2018 happened. He shot up for 2019. Nobody was taking Lamar anywhere close to where they were taking Patrick. They take Patrick, what happens? He gets hurt. He's done great. Lamar shoots up everybody that scored him in... You know, 10th, 11th, 12th round, they crushed it. They won. Having him in their team probably just shot them over the moon. Lamar's year last year was historic. And similar to Mike Thomas, he won't repeat it because it was historic for a reason. So not to take anything away from him because he should be fantastic again and probably a top five, if not a top three fantasy QB. It's not going to be worth the second round price tag that it will cost you. Neither will Patrick Mahomes. Because the difference between the two of those guys being a quarterback one, quarterback two, quarterback three, and scoring somebody at quarterback 12 is usually the difference of about 100 fantasy points. And you're talking about taking those guys in round two, round three, versus... You know, Kirk Cousins, who was the quarterback six last year, was going in about round 12 this year for eight-ish rounds of value. So you could get Kenny Galladay and pair him with Kirk Cousins versus taking Patrick Mahomes and pairing him with Curtis Samuel. And obviously I'm being a little flippant there with the values, but the point being, I don't think you can make up the value you're sacrificing in the third or even the second to get a quarterback – for what you can trade back to and what you can get for holding off to get your quarterback in the 10th, the 11th, the 12th, whether it's Cousins, it's Stafford, it's Roethlisberger. I think all those guys are being way overlooked for their value. I think they are where they should be, but that's where everybody should be looking, is them. Not Mahomes, not Jackson. You're giving up too many good players there to take them to get somebody of equal caliber later in the draft.
0: Well said, man. I mean, it's pretty much the same kind of reasoning for me. Nope, I'm not I'm not taking them. somebody else can. I'll look for QBs in the double-digit rounds. I'm going to stack myself at running back and wide receivers to cover my absolute flops that happen every year. I could stream a QB and still be competitive. There's 12 teams of fantasies. There's double the amount of starting QBs there. You can play a QB off the waiver wire against a crap defense, and they might have a QB one week. Live in the stream with J.J. Zacharyson, man. Great podcast. Definitely listen to it. I mean...
1: One of my favorites.
0: You can absolutely stream a QB, man. You know, and maybe if you wait in the QB until double-digit rounds, you might get a league mate to be able to take your QB because they're scared. But at the same time...
1: Yawn, yawn, <laughs> yawn.
0: I thought that was pretty organic. But, um,
1: <laughs> I yeah. heard your tone change right <laughs> before you started speaking. I knew it was coming.
0: I got so excited. So... <laughs> Yeah, so, like, I'm not taking Mahomes. I'm not taking Jackson in one QB league. I'm absolutely waiting double digits. I have plenty of late QBs that I'm excited about. Dave doesn't have late QBs excited about because he's scared about evaluating QBs. So.
1: I can get excited about a couple, but some that I'm actually coming around on is maybe taking a shot on these rookies. These rookies, Tua and Burrow. I actually really like that. And then if they don't hit early on, no big deal. I'm streaming.
0: Jared Goff for me. Jared Goff's my late round QB. Ugh. Hey, man. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a guy I who know. finished QB1 for two years the year before, third year, worn heavy offense. They're probably going to regress to the mean, Dave. And they're going to be able to probably start throwing more. Cup, Higby, Woods, they're all guys that are being hyped up. They're being hyped up because people think they're going to produce.
1: Do they even have an offensive line? Do they even have an offensive yeah, line? Yeah, that's
0: the only part. But that's the thing to me is like, if if I have, if you pick Goff late, you're not going to have to spend a lot of capital on him. And if he flops, just go on your wire, dude. Derek Carr will be sitting there. Like, there's plenty of QBs that are on your wire. If you miss on QB, your waiver wire is there to pick you up. If you miss on running back, you are screwed. <laughs> you know, like those are the. That's the difference. In a one QB league, QBs are salvageable. The only thing that matters less than a QB is a tight end in a one, in a one tight end league.
1: Besides, oh, kickers. You shouldn't, you be shouldn't have with
0: them. You shouldn't
2: have kickers. You shouldn't have <laughs> <them>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know.
0: Get
2: yeah. out. I get out if them. you're playing with kickers. I had to you don't it. belong here anymore. If
0: you have kickers, you should have two. All right. So we, we spoke plenty about one QBs. The consensus is there are scenarios where you could take a QB early, but you probably shouldn't. It's one QB. Wait. Now, Superflex, if you don't play Superflex, you really should. So the idea of the difference between Superflex and 2QB is, Superflex, there are options that if you lose out on a second QB, you can find a, a plan to be able to make something up. 2QBs, it's a little bit harder, but at the same time, at the end of the day, you need to draft, and it equals out the value more. So now you're looking at Mahomes and Jackson as top six picks. So, is a quarterback, The 101 is super flex, and if it's not, when are you targeting your first quarterback, Sean?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to find a lot of people that subscribe to the fact that they're going to grab a QB with that 101, but it's not me. I think you're going to see in the first two rounds, you're going to be looking at Mahomes, Jackson, Murray, Wilson, Prescott, Watson gone, maybe even Josh Allen creeping up into there. But personally, I still think you can't beat the value of 101 going Saquon going CMC, somebody you know with that guaranteed value, who's going to be a monster if you're playing in a half point or full PPR league. They're just going to rack up those receptions. And then coming back around, you know, at the 2-3 side, you might not even have to take a quarterback because maybe you look it off and you just say, all right, I'm looking at Matt Ryan as my QB1, and I'll take him in the fourth. I'm looking at Matty Stafford in the sixth. I'm looking at Kirk Cousins in the seventh. I'm targeting Ben Roethlisberger in the 8th or the ninth. I think when it comes to Superflex, there's this big push to have to have the young, hotshot QB. And, you know, these guys who in the Alexander Hamilton mold are not throwing away their shot. Oh, yes. But I think there's plenty of guys that have already shot their shot. Alexander Hamilton. And are still fantasy relevant. And I think their names are Matt Ryan, Matt Stafford, Ben Roethlisberger, Kirk Cousins. Drew Brees, there's this big idea that you need to have these quarterbacks that are 23, 24, 25, 26, and everybody's looking off the quarterbacks that are 37, 38. You know, Todd can attest to this that at that point you're basically just turning to dust anyway, a la a Thanos snap.
0: I'm so strong, baby.
2: He's still standing. He's still strong. He's full Antoine Fisher. And these quarterbacks are too. And I think that you don't need to jump early. And I think that you win by not jumping up early, that patience pays off and that your winning team isn't Mahomes and Carson and David Johnson. It's really Saquon and whoever you got in the second in the third and the fourth leading up to you taking Stafford and Roethlisberger as your quarterbacks.
0: I just want to let you know that I can still chuck it, baby. I'm 37 and I got plenty left. I actually want to tra- challenge Scott Simpson to a uh, to a forty. We'll time each other separately. I got him beat. I got him beat, dude. So top six, first two rounds. Then I'd be considering uh, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and maybe Brady in the third. Patrick Mahomes, L Jack, top five all day. My one hundred and one is still uh, CMC. Then it's Barkley, and then I'm probably looking at Mahomes at three and Jackson at four. Watson, Wilson, and Prescott are all in the top 15 range for me, and I consider Murray at the back end of the second round, but he's not making it there in a super flex draft. I let somebody else pay on that. I value QBs pretty high. Outside of that top five, then I wait. I will happily mop up with Matt Stafford or Kirk Cousins all day in a redraft super flex at that position. Again, also, if I have Stafford or Cousins as my QB one, then I'm waiting on a you know, a Jared Goff is my QB, two, Or even Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger is going to slip because of the whole people aren't sure if he's going to be able to stay healthy. Cam Newton is another guy whose ADP is still up in the air. Those are guys you can get as your QB, two. Dave?
1: This is when my late-round QB really shines here in the strategy of the late-round QB is, is that the, the top 12 quarterbacks is actually a pretty volatile position year to year. You have players finishing breaking into that top 12 or even that top 6 very frequently. So that's why I want to target, I want the QBs going in the the end of the QB, the top 12 QB range. I want to grab one of them that I think has some great upsides like Sean said, Matt Ryan, or even I'd be happy even with a Matt Stafford, even though it's getting a little later. I just like that end of the QB1 range. And then I'm also trying to, to target upper end QB2. So I'm not double tapping, but I won't oppose to it. I'm going QB, QB and trying to get Two QBs who can finish high up or outside that ADP range, but I think that have value. That's how I'm going to approach it. And then I'm willing to play chicken for my third QB. I'll happily try to get value late, like Cam Newton's going very late. I'll I'll invest in him, Gardner Minshew. And when I'm talking about chicken, I'll play the Dwayne Haskins game. I'll play...
0: Teddy Bridgewater.
1: Yep, Teddy Bridgewater. Any of those games, I'll play I'll play that QB3 chicken any day of the week. And I actually look forward to it. It's, part of the one, it's a fun part of the draft for me. That's kind of how I'm approaching it, just because of how volatile those top 12 QBs can be. And whereas I can mop up those important RB, RB or wide receiver spots while other people are going QB. So that's kind of how I approach it.
0: I'm in a invitational with the uh, Dynasty Football Digest. and
1: Yeah, awesome speaks, right?
0: Yep, it's super flex. I got Teddy Bridgewater as my third QB, and I was ecstatic. I mean, not only the fact that Teddy has... You know, DJ Moore, CMC. I mean, Curtis Samuel is very self on at wide receiver. Robbie Anderson, he's got targets. He's very efficient. But you know what the other thing that people tend to forget? That defense is going to suck. That's <laughs> going to be a bad defense. They're going to have to throw a lot. The other side of the ball matters. Teddy Bridgewater, fantastic QB3 target this year. Tight end approach. Flash strategy of the night. One tight end, not premium. I've said it on this before, tight ends to me are the new kickers, just wait till the end. Is anyone telling me wrong? Is it worth a gamble? When should I be looking at a tight end? Convince me that I should care, but you're not going to because it's Kelsey or Kittle as a late second, early third, or I'm just going to wait. Lots of wide receivers there, lots of running backs. I do like Andrews a little bit, but not where his ADP is, opposed to all the monsters at wide receiver running back there. So I'm staying clear. I'm not looking at tight end until double digits easily. Dave, can you convince me to think otherwise?
1: No, no, I can't, Todd. Sorry, not that I can convince you to do anything anyway, in general.
0: No, I can. Not even my mom.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe I can get lucky with a and grab a top t- four tight end at value at some point, but I, I'm just doubtful that's going to happen because, like I said, I'm a worst case scenario kind of guy, and I'm prioritizing running back and wide receiver at those ADPs over the running backs. I love for people to keep hitting on Zach Ertz and get a chance at Zach Ertz because those wide receivers keep dropping out there in Philly. But yeah, I I just think I'm going to wait just because the onesie position, it's an injury. There's more likely to be injured. Yeah, so I'll I'll just pass on tight end and try to play that late tight end game. It's also a fun part of of fantasy football, in my opinion.
0: Come on, Sean. Tell me to care about tight ends.
2: No, never. (laughs) I'll never convince
0: you to care about anybody, ever. (laughs)
2: And I think no, probably not. You know, unless Kittle or Kelsey really slides, I'm not looking at them at all. I'm ecstatic when somebody takes them in the second. You know, back end of the second, high third, and somebody grabs them, I'm thumbs up all day. I'm doing a golf clap for them. I'm excited because that just leaves more running backs more wide receivers. Fair? I love the idea of Jonu Smith in the 13th round, Jack Doyle for free. Eric Ebron for almost free, Ian Thomas for almost free, Chris Herndon for free. You know, you're talking about a position where older than dust, Jason Witten was a tight end one last year. Short of the top three guys at the position, top four if you want to include Darren Waller, it's wide open for a tight end one. And I think there's not much to gain by spending up in the third to get a high end tight end one for waiting until the Fifteenth round to get a mid-tight end one. I don't think you win by sacrificing that kind of volume. And I know there's evidence out there to show that if you have X player in your tight end spot, you win more times than others. But I think that also means you probably threaded the needle on several other positions and you nailed your late round quarterback. You were the guy who took Lamar Jackson in the twelfth round last year, and of course it worked out. And it probably had nothing to do with the fact that you took Kelsey in the third. Tight end is becoming meaningless. To the point where if you just eliminated it and put in a flex position, that makes your league all the more interesting. So I will not convince you to care about it, Todd, because I can't convince myself to care about it.
0: I love all the points. The only thing I'm going to disagree with, I absolutely do think that Kittle and Kelsey are worth it at the end of the second, early third turn. It's just scarcity, man. They're the only two that matter. And then you're looking at guys that have wide one, wide two range of production anyways. So like I can kind of fall in the field to pass on the wide receiver where I'm kind of just falling into another wide receiver where I would just have whatever's left to me in the 13th, 14th round. But I love the rest of it, Sean.
2: Would you rather have a tight end, dedicated position, or an extra flex spot for your starting lineup?
0: I'd rather have a tight end because... I want people to be strategic approach to that position. I think an extra flex spot just is weak because it makes you just be able to just do whatever feels good. I want to be able to have you force that hand. Kickers are meaningless. They're random. I don't think that we should have them in leagues. I think team defenses are unbelievably streamable, but they're actually kind of fun to stream. So after tight ends, I like the idea if you have to play with tight ends. Either you put him in as a tight end spot or I, I don't like the idea of an extra flex. I'd rather see people try to figure out how to use that position well. What about you, Dave? Extra flex or tight end?
1: Tight end for all the reasons you mentioned.
0: I just like the idea of having for people to have to figure it out. I feel like redraft leagues, moving to two tight ends would make things very interesting. Would make things very interesting. I think it also makes the position matter. The only problem is, is that I don't really think that two tight ends is the thing in redraft. And how much stock would you be putting into a second tight end and a two tight end pre- and a two tight end week? What about you, Dave?
1: I haven't seen it much at all. But if I did, that totally changes everything when it comes to your strategy. I want definitely one of those top four tight ends, no matter what. Mm. And I also want probably another top twelve tight end, if possible. If we're going two tight ends, just because i if you're going two tight ends. That's a way to win your league if you have two two premium tight ends in a league. So that it totally changes everything, but I don't see it. I What I have seen is more flex spots that allows you to play more tight ends if you want to. But I don't really like any teams that go with that tight end heavy approach and try to take advantage of the tight end spot through the flex. I just don't like it. I'd rather go wide. Rec- I like to build
2: through wide receiver. My flex spots, not tight ends. So.
0: I love it. It's a great take.
2: Sean? Yeah, it's just... It's- It's a position that requires no depth at all. I think even if you're in a position where you're in a league where it needs two tight ends, it still isn't a matter of calling your shot and going full Babe Ruth. It's just a question of luck. You know, you're talking about a position where not having a top five tight end. So being tight end six, tight end 12 was separated by 40 points. Being a tight end back end tight end one and a mid tight end two was separated by 25 points. That's luck. And I think that whether you're one tight end, two tight end league, investing significant capital in this position isn't a recipe for success. If you're two tight ends, the argument becomes stronger, obviously, for Kelsey, for Kittle, for Andrews, up there at their price in the second, third, fourth round. But based on low yardage, high touchdown volume we've seen, from back end tight end ones in the last two or three years, I don't think there's anything to say that you can't be in a tight end, uh, two tight end league, and still do well. Not prioritizing that position, I think if you're in a position where you go into this and you have Jack Doyle and you have Eric Ebron, or you have Jonu Smith, any combination of those three, that's not by any means the top of the sale. And nobody's going to write home about that. But you could still end up with two tight end ones. I'll bet back end tight end ones. But the way that's going to affect your roster construction probably means a hell of a lot more than having a tight end one and a back end tight end two and giving up a wide receiver one. A running back one. A quarterback one. Depending on your league. That you had to give up to get Kelsey or Kittle or Andrews. So, no matter what the format, I'm not prioritizing the tight end.
0: I, I'm with you, man. And the other thing, too, is that Redraft is supposed to be an accessible form. Like, this is where people that aren't like us are, like, playing fantasy. Like, you want, the like, the game to be accessible to people so people can have fun with it. If you want a more challenging format, like two tight ends or something like that, probably go play Dynasty. I want to see two tight ends in Redraft because... I'm a degenerate who plays too many Dynasty Leagues, so it would make my redraft experience more fun. But you're going to alienate other people. So I don't necessarily think that two tight ends should be something I have seen a lot in redraft. I don't really want to see it a lot in redraft outside of the leagues I play in because I think it would make things more fun for me. A second tight end does absolutely nothing for me except it makes me feel like I need to roster three at least. If it's a deeper roster, maybe four. Tight ends too random. It's very inconsistent game to game, year to year. Premium, non-premium, it doesn't matter. It's Kelsey Kittle, maybe Andrews, or wait. That's, that's the way I play it. Um, Zach Ertz, I'm very high on Dallas Goddard. That is going to happen at some point where that starts becoming a little more even, and I'm very scared of being on him the year that happens. And redraft, that's something that I, I tend to avoid. Dynasty, it's a little bit different. Ertz will still have some value, but if you miss on that year where that transition happens, that's tough. I think Waller is going to re-
1: Deshaun Jackson's calling, uh, is making stupid Holocaust comments. Marquise Goodwin's opted out. Jan Rager's the only legitimate wide receiver there. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey's probably on Pup. Jay Jaws was a disaster last season. Even if Dallas Goddard tr- somehow is more relevant this year, Del- or Zach Ertz is going to eat now. Fire offense, up man. your
2: John Hightower shares. Uh,
1: Quez Watkins, baby.
0: I have him. I get that. I'll give you that about being all about Ertz in 2020. I think that's me not letting go of the Dynasty piece. I think that's where, like, my Dynasty owner kind of falls into the Earth piece. I know I said that it's okay to have him in Dynasty. I don't want to be the guy investing in him. I think there's just a little bit more cushion with it because I think Ertz and the two tight end league will sell value if him and Goddard start evening out. But in 2020, yeah, I could see Ertz eating a little bit in that. That makes a lot of sense. You caught me on that. I also think when you look at Ertz's ADP, like there's plenty of players I'd rather have around that position too. I say maybe Andrews, I wouldn't do it, but I could totally see people reaching out for it. With Andrews, I'm more like one more year of production and then I'm buying. And a redraft, that's a totally okay way of looking at it. Dynasty, you could totally be losing out, obviously. It's like kind of the DJ Moore conversation we've had before. Like you've missed out, like, Last year was the year to buy in the Andrews before he exploded in year two. Kittle and Kelsey, that's it. That's it for me at tight end when it comes to two tight end, one tight end, redraft. Then otherwise I'm just going to wait and I'm just going to build up the rest of my roster and then see what lands to me and I'm pick accordingly. I love Jack Doyle. I love that call from Sean. I will go to battle with Jack Doyle in a one tight end week all day. We talked a lot of redraft today. So let's reflect are there any dynasty takeaways after getting into this redraft discussion does this change your dynasty strategy at all dave
1: i don't think it really does I, I it just reinforces a lot of my strategies and my and my preconceived notions of how to attack dynasty just going through the redraft adp and just the value that these rookie rbs have and me wanting to invest in my you know i, I harp on this every episode it feels like and young ascending RBs. That's where there's value in a lot of fo- formats and especially in redraft. And what I love about redraft is it, it really helps me understand roster construction and the importance of roster construction. Talked about it a lot today because that's a big takeaway for me. And that's something that I've struggled with in the past in certain seasons where I might be picking the guys I want, but I'm overlooking about how my overall team looks. I'm just looking at value or or players that I like, and the importance of roster construction. And I think that dynasty, or that redraft, really hammers that home for me, and that's something to take home for Dynasty.
2: What about you, Sean? Anything, buddy? They need to be separate. We've spent the last, well, we collectively have spent the last five months talking about Dynasty. The two of you have spent the last year and a half talking about Dynasty. Here we sit tonight transitioning into <laughs> redraft, and that just proves... You need to have deliberately different strategies. You can't just band-aid one to the other in whatever order you choose. You can't say, okay, David Montgomery is going in the sixth then redraft. i will grab him in the sixth then dynasty. It's not a one-for-one like that. You need to do your research because as we've talked about tonight, the plethora of information that is out there is overwhelming. And the answer simply isn't, I couldn't find anything. It's that I found too much. So you need to sit down. You need to do the time. If you expect to win, you need to put in the work. And the work is sifting through the research, sifting through the numbers, understanding your league and not just dynasty versus redraft, but also your scoring system. I mean, Dave and our home league for dynasty have put draconian methods into a pick six versus just an interception. <laughs> How does that account for your draft strategy? It needs to because you know what? Jameis don't mean too much no more. I mean, he doesn't anyway going into this year, but historically for Dave's league, that was a big point of contention. How do you account for that? So I think you can't just copy and paste A format to B format. That's a losing strategy. It's a lazy strategy. You don't do anybody any favors, but certainly not yourself by doing that.
1: I love what Sean just said. And before we get to what Todd's takeaway is, I just want to just piggyback on that and saying that the more... The more that I'm involved in fantasy football, the more questions I get, the more leagues that I'm exposed to. I feel that my skill increases, which I mean, well, it needs to increase a lot more to become good. But my skill increases because the more strategies, the more formats, the more league types I'm exposed to and knowing how to adjust and the importance of these league settings, I think really advances people's fantasy skills. And that's a big takeaway for me, is that when you... We've been talking about Dynasty for so long, but then when we switch to Redraft, it's a whole new ballgame, like Sean said. And I, I think it just makes you a better overall fantasy player than more types that you're exposed to. And you really understand all these mu- little changes in a league or setting and what that does to a player's value. And I think that it's just it's, it's just eye-opening to me about how important it is to, to be exposed to that.
0: So for me, the only thing that my takeaway from our discussion is when we talked about how deep wide receivers are like obviously i knew that we've talked about it blah 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 and when i thought about how much i can wait on wide receivers in redraft then i thought about it i'm like well it's a very saturated position maybe in dynasty there's some there's some value there in buying In a lot of cases are not like uh, interestingly enough the guy i've been trying to buy I took over two orphans, and the guy I've been trying to buy in both leagues was Preston Williams, and when you talk to those two owners, you're just like, yeah, the, 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 the price tag's way too high, but there's leagues where Preston Williams is still, you know, an 11th round value kind of a guy, like, that's a guy that you can go and stock up on wide receivers with upside, and you have a better chance on hitting on those guys for less capital, it's a very deep position. Like you're gonna you can wait on those positions in, in redraft, but that makes you think about in dynasty, well maybe that's a position I could stock up on for less capital and then I can see what's happening because I'm obviously in a wait and see kind of situation. That's the only thing I kinda pulled out of it, and that was just like something I just really wanted to find, that one thing, that one nugget that I wanted to pull out. And in our home league, that doesn't mean much for me. I'm I'm pretty good at wide receiver. But if you're looking to rebuild, sock kind of wide receivers is probably a good value move. And then you'll probably be able to hit on a few of those guys and then see what happens. Gentlemen, redraft strategies. Let's sum this all up. How do we approach redraft strategies? Do we have a set strategy? We wait and see. We've evaluated a lot. We've talked about plenty of takes. Personally, and in the earliest rounds. I believe best available, best value. Position doesn't matter much. I do want running backs, uh, a running back within the first two to three rounds. And then I watch runs and I know my league mates and I take advantage of what's given to me. Superflex, I want a top five QB or I'm going to wait. I definitely know where I want those top end options in relation to where wide receiver or running back is. Like, depending on the way that the draft works out, I know exactly who I'm okay drafting over a QB. Uh Running backs, I'm a big tier guy there. I want one of those studs and then I'm not freaking out about missing out on a, on a RB run and I'm scooping up some side wide receivers. Again, my one thing is I really want to be able to make sure I can get an RB1 though. If I get an RB1, I'm not freaking out about the RB2 run. Wide receivers, love them and I find them more reliable. I've built through wide receivers for years. It just happens to be an interesting year where I've never seen a talent pool of this deep. Tight ends, I don't care. Just don't care. Gentlemen, any ways that you guys want to talk about approaching redrafts?
1: I'll just say I like to be balanced, balanced, balanced. That being said, I will tend to lean RB, especially early on. I want to have two RBs at at least two RBs in the first three picks. If I can get three that I value in the first three picks, I'm happy with it. But I love, I want to make sure I get At least one in my first two picks and two in my first three picks. And then everything else is I want value. I care about my roster construction. I don't want to be, I don't want to feel like I need to rely on the waiver wire or early season additions in one place to strengthen my roster because it, I think it's a crapshoot, especially early on about who you get for your bids and just who you land. So, and I've, I've preached it the entire episode, but roster construction, roster construction, roster construction, having a, a good roster construction and making the right investment in the right places goes a long way in redraft. And sometimes it even matters more than picking the right players because if you have built your team the right way and you, and you're not susceptible to if you like miss on a, you know, if you went zero something and you have a big invest or went heavy in one place, but had one big investment in a, in a wide receiver running back, but then not much else. Well, if you got that wrong, then your entire strategy is screwed. That's why the balance comes into play and that roster direction comes into play. So you, I don't want to have too much hubris and too much confidence in myself. I want to know that I'm going to make mistakes and account for them in my strategy.
2: Sean? Yes, yeah, sim- similar to Dave. Uh, your first five rounds need to be three running backs, two wide receivers. Whatever order you take that in, I don't think matters as much as the fact that if you're not walking away with that spread – three running backs and two wide receivers after the first five rounds, your team is going to suffer from a critical lack of depth. Because as we've covered on this, the running backs you're going to police up in seven, eight, nine, ten 10 just won't be there. You won't be able to provide that depth that your team is going to need. And if it's super flex, you interject a quarterback into there. You know, I think maybe you're walking away with two running backs, two wide receivers and a quarterback. Fine. Again, the order isn't as consequential as much as that balance and getting that early distribution to protect your long-term depth as you go through the draft.
0: Gents. Woo. It was a long redraft discussion. I haven't talked this much about redraft since I was in college.
1: (laughs)
2: Good
0: Lord. Wow. All
2: right. What was the telegraph like?
0: (laughs) Dave, where can they find you, buddy?
1: You can find me at my new home, dynastyhappyhour.com at ff underscore spaceman on Twitter. And you can always find my college prospect database in my pinned tweet. Hit me up for any questions related to that. Or if you need some help with Excel or in spreadsheets, you need something done. Hit me up too. I'm more than willing to help. And yeah, guys, this was a lot of fun tonight. Thanks for being here. And I wanted to shout out our second friend of the show, but our second friend of the show, Shout out to Alex Duchesne's or at Duchesne's underscore. He's been really pumping us out on Twitter, recommending us everywhere for people to listen to us, and it goes a long way. He's and we just really appreciate the support, Alex. And he has a great podcast himself uh, called Terrestrial Takes.
0: Fantastic podcast. He just stuff. is very
1: quick hitter, and he just talks about certain topics that are kind of interesting. It's your, it's not your typical fancy football podcast. And Alex just has some good original ideas go check that out so yes friend of the show alex thanks a lot man for all your support we really appreciate it
0: you're the man alex we love you brother sean do you actually check twitter
2: no but nevertheless you can still hit it up at ff underscore (laughs) walrus especially if you're one of our brothers in the balkans shout out to our lithuania followers and hats off to you guys You resisted the fascists, you resisted the communists, (coughs) and here you are settling with A Tale of Two Rivals. Light us up. Let's go. If any of our fans
0: in Lithuania have a 1992 Grateful Dead Lithuania basketball uh, shirt and you want to email us at A Tale of Two Rivals at gmail.com, I will pay the shipping to take that. I'll pay for that shirt. I'm dying for an authentic (laughs) shirt from that stuff.
2: Todd is also looking for a pen pal. If anyone's
0: <laughs> Hey, if you want to talk about our videos of bonus by letters, I'm in for months. You know, The Other Dream Team, great documentary. All right. You can find me at FF underscore banterman on Twitter. I'm all about Dynasty, all about Devi. Heck, if you want to talk about hoops, I'm in, dude. I love hoops. NBA's back, loving it. Good stuff. You can find my writing at the Dynasty Football Digest. IDP guys, Invitational is killing it with $1,500 in. I'm going to take the Red Division down. Joey Tooth has got nothing on me. And I'm going to be trying to put out some solo episodes on Devi on here. I'm going to really focus hard on the 2021 class because I feel like even if you don't play Devi, it gives you some value, especially in a very messed up kind of season that's coming up. We don't really know. We've already had a lot of, like, premier guys, like, more opt out. You know, Rondell Moore is not playing college football. He's a guy who's a top five prospect. I'm going to be talking a lot about those guys. So definitely tune into those uh, solo episodes too. So, gentlemen, good time as always. We did No two Rivals. See you next time. You guys really should play Debbie. You guys really should play Debbie. And, and dude, it's so funny. Like, when we were talking about where to find ADP, I go, where do I find Redraft ADP? <laughs> like, I haven't looked for it in forever.
1: Guys, we spent four hours together uh remotely. This was felt like we were at school, at work, remotely with people.
2: I don't work this hard at work. No way.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I dude I, I I'm like toast but like it was still fun the entire time